This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our eight-part series called The Body, Constructing a New You. And tonight's topic is on self-concept and beauty, and we are discussing how this affects our body. So we're going to come to those conclusions at the end of this podcast. So as the Constructionists, we desire for you to be able to navigate your life with a framework of a worldview that is relevant and loving to people. And part of this is getting our own house in order. So that's why we decided to do this topic at the beginning of the year, just an eight-week series to start out 2023 really well. Um, If you can't figure out how to love yourself, it's going to be really hard loving others in some better capacity. So that's what we want to do through this series is learn to love ourselves better, learn self-care, learn better concepts of who we are and what we are about. I want to encourage you to listen to the TED.com podcast, uh, TED video on TED.com, The Benefits of Not Being a Jerk to Yourself by Dan Harris. The benefits of not being a jerk to yourself, you can find that on TED.com, just search it and it'll pop right up about one of the most popular videos of 2022. So in previous podcasts, we've made mention of this, that we, we deconstruct old ideas and we don't have a vision forward, a pathway forward. When we don't have a chart forward, we usually end up exactly the same that we started with. Deconstructing ideas without a vision We just become so different that we end up exactly the same as where we started. We don't want to do that. We want to break, like we talked about last week, break toxic behaviors, break toxic habits and old habits, and continue to construct and grab onto a new future. So this is our thinking space where we are presenting ideas and thoughts. Joined with me is Jacob Flug and Shreya Bodner. Good evening, both of you. So glad that you could join. Yes. And we are not claiming to be experts in psychology. We're not even claiming to be experts in theology. We are just claiming to be people that are having a discussion, musing and noodling around, trying to figure out a better way of life as God leads us. So this eight-part series, if you missed last week, um, it is was on hot habits and toxic behaviors. Go back, get caught up. If you missed the last two weeks, we started with goal setting, then habits and toxic behaviors, like I said. Tonight is self-concept and beauty. Then we're headed into fitness and nutrition, spiritual practice and meditation, healthy relationships, mental health, and then a highly neglected discipline is rest finding enough rest to heal and rejuvenate so that we can work out of our rest instead of rest from our work. So a note to our supporters, you can support us financially by following the link. Um, We're going to put that in the chat notes, in the show notes, in the chat, and you can link up to resonatelife.org and you can connect into the give tab and under that you can financially support us. But more than money, 
and more than financial support of any kind. We want you to listen. We want you to engage. And most importantly, we love the chat back and forth. We learn together. Again, this is our thinking and growing space. And so by doing this during these times and beyond all through the week, if you want to chat with us through the week, you can. You can leave some notes and we'll pick those up during the week and respond. We promise we will do that. And it can be an iterative, interactive exercise that we can grow together. That's how we learn. That's how we experientially learn from one another. And we want to engage with you that way. All right, just a brief introduction to start. This has been quite the cool journey this week on self-concept and what self-concept is. And so I'm just going to give a really quick a brief introduction of just the self and who we are as God's people, but also just as human beings. I think that it's important to really be clear that we have labels that Christians sometimes use. We're Christian or we are God's people. Um, I do know that the Bible does say that we are God's people and that we are Christian people. We have those labels. But more importantly, I believe that Jesus came to make us whole human, that we are human beings. And we first have an obligation to treat each other as human beings and to treat ourselves as a human being. And that's where self-concept really comes into play, is to just identify our whole humanness. And that's really important to think about. And so you can muse around that topic for a while. So just a self-concept definition. There's actually lots of self-concept definitions, but I'm going to just pick one uh, definition. The individual's belief about themselves, including the person's attributes and who and what the self is. Who and what the self is. That's by a person by the name of Baumeister out of 1999. Some articles, the individual's belief about themselves, including the person's attributes and who and what the self is. Another definition, older definition, the totality of an individual's thoughts and feelings having reference to themselves as a person and even as an object. So we talk a little bit about the objectification of others and self, and sometimes it's easy to think of ourselves as an object. I would like to change that older definition that was Rosenberg's definition from 1979. Calling ourselves an object is really unhealthy. So I would say to ourselves as a human being. So the totality of an individual's thoughts and feelings having reference to themselves as a human being. So self-construct or self-concept is, if you, th if you think about it, it's your self-construct, self-esteem, self-image, self-efficacy, self-awareness. All those selves build a self-construct, which is called a self-concept or self-concept is really important to be healthy. It's important to have a real honest view of self. If we don't, then we start filtering our decisions, how we treat ourselves and others and even God. We, we treat other persons in our life pretty much the same way that well, possibly we are treating ourselves and the closest people around us. We just are treating them as a version of our own self-concept. So we need to be very careful. We need to think through those things and get uh, get ourselves in a place where we are surrounding ourselves with a healthy environment to grow and to learn, but also to uh, 
just to identify and really know ourselves. I, I just find that in my own journey to be a really important concept to be centered. And I've done centering therapy. I've done centering meditation practices and such. But my overarching self-construct making sure that that is healthy in all of these areas is crucial in relationship building, I believe. So self-image and self-concept are two different things. Self-image is how an individual sees themselves, just like looking in a mirror in a practical way. It could be, but it is a more comprehensive evaluation, I would say, of our image and and what others actually perceive of ourselves too defines that that image so self-concept is more of a totality and self-image is an evaluation of the image of self how we see ourselves how we align with how does that align with reality actually is a really important uh, breakdown as well. Then you have self-concept and self-efficacy. Self-efficacy refers to the individual's judgment about their abilities. So self-efficacy, if you don't believe that you're doing well in something or you're behind somehow or you don't have a skill set or you just are down on your abilities, that's a low self-efficacy. I think that you know some people don't have that aligned to reality either. They think that they do better than they actually do. Um, they're performing better than they're actually performing. But really, self-efficacy is really married to other people's performance. And we need to be very careful and not falling into that trap of, I would say, a efficacy dysfunction. We could even talk uh, about uh, imposter syndrome at this point. Well, yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome is we well. It's not. A, yeah, week. we talked. About, it's not a syndrome necessarily. It's a psychological nuance or a tendency that we don't believe we're doing uh, as well as we actually are doing, and that then draws a there that rides a fine line between narcissism and low self esteem. So the, the idea that we're just looking to get attention, so we're going to be an imposter. I'm really not doing well. I'm nearly not doing well. But really um, looking for or, affirmation the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Or it's a low self-esteem where you actually really don't think you're doing well. And there's a sense of depression. There's a sense of low self-esteem in that um, in that imposter syndrome. But then self-awareness. Self-awareness is your... Um, I would say the trait that involves basically how you are aware of your thoughts, your feelings, your the totality of yourself, but then how ultimately that affects others. That's where that actually ends up is our self-awareness is, is what we believe about ourselves, the totality of our thoughts, feelings, and basically spirit and body and everything. But then how does that affect another person? How does that affect relationships? How does that affect close relationships? We need to grow in our self-awareness. So self-concept actually has an entire huge theory behind it. And it's a deep psychological study. There's a lot of therapy that can be embraced and encouraged. If you find yourself low or misguided 
in any of these areas, I want to encourage you to find a professional, find a therapist, find somebody to help you work and do the work because we're the only ones. I had a friend today tell me, I am the only one that can do, do my own work. And I'm going to say that for everybody. We're the only people who can do our work. And so our relationship with God and others and ourselves, when it comes to our relationship with self, we need to do that work. And it might take going to a therapist. It might take going to a recovery group. It might take a lot of work, but we're the only ones who can. But I can tell you this, self-concept is not inherited. It's learned. And that's really where we need to land. We can learn new tools and a new way of being and new way of looking at ourselves and therefore looking at others quite differently. All right, self-concept. I think, I think in stepping back, learned doesn't is not all oftentimes not a choice well of course so we do have yeah. privileged systems and privileged environments well, like trauma-based learning is not it's right. not our learning through mm -hmm. trauma that's not a a positive but some i think learning from learn trauma we, learning from but what yeah. we've learned in no. Are these like dysfunctions and how we view ourselves no. and how we got there is many times not our own choice not our not our own fault right Shreya, you go but... ahead and take a take the image of god the imago day you're going to spend some time in some yeah. theology for us so go ahead all right so the imago day um is just latin for the image of god so we'll be using these terms interchangeably. They mean the same thing. Imago Dei, image of God. Um, it comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, which says, Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things upon the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Um, so some important cultural information um, to look at the Hebrew language. Um, the words translated into English as image and likeness um, in the passage above are used in a few ways in the, um, in the Hebrew Bible. Sometimes they describe offspring as being in the image of the father. Um, that shows up a lot in Genesis. Other times they refer to art, usually a statue that depicts a ruler or a god. Sometimes these images were worshipped or at least revered as a way of showing respect or adoration. And sometimes it gets translated into English as the word idol. Um, so the word idol and the word image are sometimes the same Hebrew word, uh, but not always. Uh, something I found interesting was that in Exodus 20, uh, the Ten Commandments, when God says, I am your God, don't have other gods before me, don't make images of anything and worship them. Um, images there is a different Hebrew word um, that also gets used to refer to idols. So, mm -hmm. um, but then our first word for images, the same one that's found in Genesis 1, in other parts of the Hebrew Bible, like 1 Samuel and Ezekiel, it's there used to describe an idol. Sure. So, so image, to, so, so go ahead, Jake. Do you get into, I don't see, do you get into Philippians at all? 
I didn't know. I didn't do much with the Greek. And so you look at Philippians two and and the, the nature of, the of God, equality, or, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. likeness, appearance. Those are all those are all plays with the with the Greek words for idol icon, right? The same the same type of thing image. So this yeah. idea of image, if I could just ask, since you're the Hebrew Greek scholar of the three of us, the idea of image, or let's go back to Judaism just in general, okay. uh, the idea of image or pre like a pre Judaism, so Genesis. Mm -hmm. They were they were polytheists, so they you know many gods, and mm -hmm. you have the Ten Commandments that say don't put any other gods or don't put God. Uh, uh, I have no remember. other gods. Before <laughs> thank me. you, thank you. Yeah, the somewhere first commandment, there. somewhere in there. So don't have any other gods before me. It doesn't say don't have any other gods. Mm -hmm. So is so the idea of a polytheistic world was very real and images mm -hmm. in a polytheistic world was very common. Yeah. So do you think that this is a, just a, when, when the idea of the image of God, and I know that's a Latin Imago Dei, mm -hmm. um, the original language, um, when this was said, well, we're created in a image, a self image. Do you think that's just another way of saying God Kinda, or like, like maybe not God's self, but like the representative of, or the, you know, um, like in the same way icons of the saints are not the saints themselves, but they're representations of, kind of. <laughs> I was just doing some noodling around of my own study. And, yeah. And I, I... I want to spend time with that in a later podcast because I think there's something there mm -hmm. that uh, when we're called Christian, that means little Christ. Right. When we're called the image of God, that means a form of God. Mm. That goes yeah, deep. Like a, yeah. Well, if you go to the other the other commandment of the ten, the no brazen images, mm -hmm. right. no icons. Right. right. Same 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 word usage. So we have to right. pull we have to I think pull that apart a little bit more um in the old world what mm -hmm. what that could mean to them in that context of when it was first delivered. Um there's something right. very profound. But there's a very much practical. Let's let's move on to the practical. That's like up in the clouds theology crap. So let's move on. Sure. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, that's basically a summary of what the Hebrew has to say. Um, mm. The word ranges anywhere from resemblance or likeness all the way to idol. Um, so we're going to look at some theological arguments um, about what the Imago Dei is when it comes to humans. Uh, what is it made? What does it mean for humans to be made in the image of God? Um, I'm familiar with three positions on this topic, so that's what I'm going to share. Um, it comes from a book called Across the Spectrum. So if you are a theology nerd, this is a great starting place. Um, arguments that show up in theological. And if you're not a theology nerd, ignore it. It's fine. Um, there might be other ways of looking at the Imago Dei, but I am not familiar with them. 
Okay. Uh, I also want to note that these three views aren't mutually exclusive. Um, you can hold all three of these views at once. And that's kind of a unique thing in theology. Often you can't hold multiple views on something and be consistent. Like, for example, you can't really believe that salvation is predestined and also believe that you have the free will to choose God. They're mutually exclusive. Yeah, I don't, I don't With these three, either one of those, yeah. Right. But you especially can't do both of them at the same time. They're right, not compatible. Right. Um, these three views of the image of God are pretty compatible. So the traditional view of the Imago Dei has been defined as the soul or the immaterial part of the person. Usually this means something like the image of God is the truest part of you or who you really are. Um, this view emphasizes the eternal nature of the soul. So God is eternal, your soul is eternal, so the image of God must be the immortal soul. I think a weakness of this position is that Genesis 1, 26 through 28 doesn't say anything about eternality. Um, and in fact, in the other creation account at the beginning of Genesis, right, because there's two creation accounts in Genesis, the second one seems to highlight that it's an important detail that God formed Adam from the earth. So there's this emphasis placed on the physical body found in Genesis and not so much on this idea of an immortal soul. I also think that um, this traditional view that the Imago Dei is the soul sounds a little bit more like Greek philosophy than the biblical text. Um, so the Greek philosophy of Gnosticism emphasizes the separation of body and soul, saying that the body could do whatever it wants to do because the soul isn't tainted by it. Um, and I just think the traditionalist view kind of flirts with Gnosticism there. So it's not my favorite. I, I think it's a little weak as a theological position, but I also don't think that there's necessarily any harm in holding this position. I just don't find it super compelling myself. Mm. There so there you go. Um, another view of the Imago Dei is called the functional view, and this links the image of God to the function that God gave humans in Genesis 1.28, where God says, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it, take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything crawling on the ground. So in this view, the image of God is humanity's authority to exercise God's will. This looks like creation care, like supporting biodiversity, like making a, the earth a better place for all of its inhabitants. Um, I think there's good support for the functional view in scripture. One example is Psalm 8 verses 4 through 6, which says, What are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under their feet. The Bible Project has put together a really great video on the image of God that explains it in terms of the functional view. Um, so I'd really recommend giving it a watch if you have time to do that. Just do a search for Bible Project image of God. Um, it's really beautiful. I find this view very compelling. Um, it's a story that I want to be a part of and can find purpose in. And I think the functional view highlights that we all have a part to play in bringing about recreation, shalom, and healing the earth. And then I got one more. Um, the third view of the Imago Dei is called the relational view. 
And this takes a really close look at Genesis 1:26 and notices that God says, let us make humans in our image. Some theologians consider this to be a reference to the Trinity. So in the relational view of the image of God, God's primary characteristic is relationship. God is relationship with the three persons of the Trinity. So this suggests that the Imago Dei in humans is our capacity for relationship with each other. This is supported by a modern psychosocial understanding of the self, that humans form their individual identities in relationship. We are who we are because of other people. Um, so Jake's going to talk a little bit about the mirror concept of the self, um, but basically we figure out who we want to be because of other people and seeing how they are. If we see someone being selfish, we probably don't want to be that way. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. Uh, there are a couple weaknesses with the relational view. Um, one is that Trinitarian theology dates back to the early hundreds CE, and it's not explicitly mentioned in the biblical text. So that doesn't make this necessarily wrong. It's just less grounded in scripture. Um, and I also want to be careful with this view if someone has an impaired ability to form relationships, whether by disability or mental illness. Um, I'm not comfortable saying that some humans have more image of God than others, and that could be implied using this view. The relational so, view. Yes. Yeah. So despite hmm. those weaknesses, I still find some things compelling about the relational view of God. I think it places more of an emphasis on loving others than the functional view does. Um, well, I think implies loving I, I think it's helpful to have it just outright stated there. Um, but we do have to be careful of the potential dehumanization that can come from suggesting some people have more or less image of God than others. So, so there you go. yeah, that's really um, interesting. The the set is the second view. Yeah, the second view. The functional view. The functional view. Mm -hmm. I like that one as well. I I found it interesting because I had your notes before the program, so that's mm -hmm. a little unfair. And I did my own like, you know, deep dive. Of course, I found it interesting. The other monotheistic faiths, so Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Christianity actually. Say again. Zoroastrianism. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. Yes, but I, I will. I'll say that those three, the main ones, yeah, the main, those main ideas: um, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Judaism, you know, of course, is the image of God. It's written in Genesis. They would have taken that um, in their own likeness of God that we're born mm -hmm. in the likeness of God. Therefore, the love of self becomes very important in Judaism. I found that interesting, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Judaism has a definite focus on uh, the care of self, the body, um, in a sense, as something that is to be uh, cared for and nurtured. Uh, Islam, born into purity, born of the pure self, and able and able to make choices in here like like implanted in us that we are able to make choices between uh right and wrong moral choices 
So in Islam, you're born, your, your body, your mind, your soul is born into purity. Judaism, it seems this similar that we're born mm -hmm. into purity. It's really interesting and toxic that I think that Christianity is one of the only faiths. Now, there's another uh, Vedic faith that talks about the body um, and the image of God. But it's really interesting that Christianity has definite toxic views of how we are born and what we're born into. And mm -hmm. the downplay of the flesh, the hating of the flesh, which I know is a metaphor, right? But what people did with that wasn't metaphoric. And, and how we treated the body or in modern Christianity, what I've dealt with in my you know, groups, not, not necessarily the group that I'm with now, uh, the church I'm with now, not really at all, but the lack of care or the focus on the body or the image, even if you called it the temple of God or the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? That focus on the image is thought of as sin. That if we focus right. on the self, that's sinful, um, selfish. We should never focus on ourselves. That's, that's it. That's a, that's a pretty strong, uh, theology, doctrine, dogma in Christianity, but just the mere fact that we are born into this theology, which I don't agree with at all, um, born into and we carry an original sin. You're talking about sin. original sin, yeah. Yeah, original sin in our life. That's uh, that's pretty damaging to the self-concept. <laughs> that's pretty damaging to the self-esteem. But then the, third, the last one is the Vedics, the Buddhists, um, where their Namaste. focus to control the body. Mm -hmm. So the mind is to be enlightened to control and can control the body. I felt that I, f I find that one really quite interesting. That's what mindful practices practices are meditation. And, you know, the Vedics um, is to become at one with Brahma or to grow in our enlightenment, to fo follow an eightfold path of Buddhism that we are able to control mm -hmm. certain things in the body. I just kind of throw those out there because um, all of the faiths have done something with the image of God and what Christians have done might not have necessarily been the healthiest choice. It comes, it comes yeah. from August, it comes from Augustine. And definitely has, I think most negative things, I think, feel like come from a <laughs> Yeah. A um, couple of good things. Come on. Come on. <clears throat> couple. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a book written a couple of years ago, Reza Aslan, that said, God, a human history. Are you familiar with this, Raya? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I haven't read that one, but I know that it exists. And so uh, he takes the, the Imago Dei the image of God as, as being human. And he flips it on its head and say that the Imago Dei is the human understanding of what, of what God is. So it's God created mm -hmm. in the image and likeness of humanity. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think about that? I think it makes sense. Um, I want to be careful with my words because um, I don't want to suggest that humans created God. Mm -hmm. um, but which is what his which his outcome is is that humans created right. the 
the being of God. Right. Um, but like, if we understand ourselves in relationship to others, do we then understand God in relationship to ourselves? So mm. I, I don't think there's a, a way to avoid projecting a certain amount of humanity onto God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, I think, sometimes healthy ways, most of the time unhealthy ways. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in modern world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jake, why don't you take self-concept, kind of pick that apart for us and lead us down the theory of self-concept. The theory of self-concept. So we went through what um, God implanting God's image within humanity and I would take I would take the the approach as well to, to even to build on what Shreya said and going back to Kevin's the idea of the Ten Commandments to not create graven images braven brazen something graven right, graven, graven 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 braven brazen yes engraved <laughs> images there you engraved go engraved images yes uh, because humanity was supposed to carry that image Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The 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 um, all of humanity was supposed to create the image in themselves and carry it forward, and so that retelling at the mountain is is a new people group that was to go out and be the presence of God on earth, which mm -hmm. is a beautiful story. Um, but then we get into the idea of our our self concept and. Like I went over earlier, self-concept or the the, uh, the self-schema can also be called is made up of lots of, of different things, lots of different ideas. The self-esteem, self-image, um, self the ideal self, those all make up what a self-concept can be. And there's other, lots of other ideas floating around there, what, what makes up a self-concept. But for the sake of tonight... What are you saying? I just said self-efficacy. Yeah. Self-efficacy, self-assuredness. Self yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of things. Uh, for the the argument tonight, I just want to focus on self-image, how we view ourselves, ideal self, how we want to be, and self-esteem, how we relate to others. So the how we view ourselves is is what we feel like what our head voice is, what we're saying to ourselves, what we believe that we can do, what we can't do. Um, it can be a very positive experience or a very negative experience. Mm -hmm. I think in humanity, the, the positive experience is a, is a very learned trait that we have to develop over time and that it takes a long time to break that, that negative cycle. The idea of self is how we want to be, how we want others to perceive us, how what we want to achieve we we did habits and goals last week last mm -hmm. week did we do that last week mm -hmm. yep. goals two weeks ago uh two weeks ago yeah mm -hmm. thank you and so what what do we want to accomplish what do we want to to be how do we line up with that who is in our life that that we look up to so that we can we can move forward and then the self-esteem is how i relate to others what i feel about myself when I'm in relationship to others. 
there's so there's two ideas of self I want to pull out the concept of the individual self and the idea of the corporate self and I would argue that there is no view of self outside of relationship that in order to have a view of yourself you have to be around other people no matter what that people are are mirrors into your life that you look at others and they tell you who you want to be, who you don't want to be, how you relate, how you even view yourself is based upon who you are. I'm sorry, based upon, yeah. Based upon who you're around, sorry. Mm. The, the idea that relationship is that all of our self is bound up in community and not bound up with what we can produce by ourselves. So that's even the image of God going back to there that that our image of God is based upon not just our individual self but the entire community, the entire human race was created to be an image image mm-hmm. of God, the Imago Dei. And so then you look at um even Aristotelian logic and we got through this a while ago. We got through this a while ago about Aristotle and how and how he thought the world was made up that what we see, what we touch, taste, feel, sense around us. Um, those, those things, those objects are just glimpses of what the actual object is of itself. And so our self-esteem, our self-worth, our self, uh, image all make up the person, the group, the community outside of ourself. And so we are just glimpses into what that image is going back to the Imago Dei again. And I keep, I keep harkening on that because that is our self-concept is how we relate to others, how we relate to God that Aristotle will say that even though I'm putting God in this context as well. So Aristotle's concept would be that, that we are mirrors of the person of God. Mm-hmm. That our self-concept, our self-esteem, our self-worth can be seen as mirrors to the person of God. And so then you get into the idea of what do I want? And that's a much that's a much broader question than who I am. And that derives your self-concept. And so Rob's going to throw up a chart that we all hopefully have seen. And it's the Maslow's hierarchy of need. Physiological needs, so safety love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization, all of those make up your self-concept. That if you aren't meeting your physiological needs, your self-concept will be low. If you're not meeting your safety needs, your self-concept will be low. If you're not meeting your love and belonging, your self-concept is going to be very low. Your esteem and your self-actualization, what do you want to do? You can pull it down now, Rob. And so what do I want out of life? What do I want life to look like? What do I want life to be? Um, there's three philosophers that I pull from for this. You have Frankel, Kierkegaard, and Tillich. Frankel was a psychologist, philosopher. Kierkegaard was a, was a philosopher out of the early 1800s. And Tillich, I believe, was at the turn of the century uh, at Harvard um, Divinity School. And they all have this idea that suffering and despair 
is the honer of what makes us us, what makes us human, what makes us our, what brings up our self-image, self-ideal self, and self-esteem. That without trials, without things that we go through to make us better, our self-esteem will be low. Our ideal self, we won't actually know where to push to. And how we relate, how we view ourselves, we will have no we'll have nothing who to bank on of how to to build ourselves to be better. And so how do we develop a better self-construct, better self-concept, better self-schema? And I really just have the emotional intelligence development. So understanding your emotions, what makes us human, understanding how they affect ourselves, how they affect others, seeing ourselves as our image is directly tied to other people's feelings as well. So having our having emotional intelligence heightened, um, understanding your place in community, understanding your place of privilege or not privilege. Anyone that's watching us tonight on a device, you're very privileged. And so mm-hmm. just knowing that you are, you're in that position. So what are you going to do with that? And that also directly impacts your, your self schema as well. Counseling is a big one. We just talked about that earlier that, to go to a professional to dig out, dig out your history, your family of origin, culture of origin, what you, what you've gone through to make you you, and to reframe that to make it better, is a really big positive experience in your life. Um, and my last point that I have is, you are what you eat, but you are what your eat eats. And we'll get into food (laughs) later, but consumption is not just about food. Um, Your positive self-talk is what is what you eat. So give yourself the same grace that you give others. That what you consume, what what your head voice is. That's a that's a big that's a Mm -hmm. big change of who you are. Practicing gratitude is also that self-talk that that can change your entire outlook on life. Um, balancing sources of information that come into you that you're not just pulling from one side that you're not pulling from the most loudest voice that you are being balanced in your approach but also um, we learn who we are around dinner tables and so eating with people is a very vulnerable experience it opens yourself up you have to sit down you have to show your ugly eating styles and you talk. So communal eating is, is one of the greatest builders of self-esteem, self-acknowledgement, self-schema that we have. And that's why it's important for our families to our kids to experience it, that we all eat together. And that's why, gosh, when you get together, you bring food because food brings mm-hmm. people together. Awesome. Thank you. I think that I think with self-concept and the idea of self-concept and what philosophers thought about it and, you know, what psychologists have thought about it, there's a lot of, I would say, just self-actualization. How does that happen in order to achieve a healthy self-concept with all of the factors that you're saying? And so practicing some of the things that you suggested 
definitely bring about self-actualization, like automatically. There's an automatic response loop that we engage in when we, when we consume healthy things, when we do healthy things, when we engage in healthy behaviors. There's self-actualization that happens when we enter into that pattern or enter into that behavior, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. Um, and I think we enter into self-actualization any time when we are experiencing the lower levels of that pyramid. And we're actually... Can you throw up that pyramid just really quick? Rob, again. Take another so look. As, yeah, as physiological needs. Physiological right. needs. Right. Because you're bringing food, you're doing whatever you need to do, you are, you're giving to others. Right. Self-actualization really is the giving the return around to give others esteem, love and belonging, safety. Yeah. And Maslow's, I didn't get to the top there. I was reading from the bottom up. And so I didn't get to yeah. the top. So he actually puts that at the top. Excellent. Yeah. Self-actualization. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, I think that one of the, well, self-actualization type faiths that are out there is Buddhism. And when you think about Buddhism and what they focus on, when it comes to uh, their nirvana or enlightenment. So nirvana is just not a band. It's an actual concept in Buddhism where we become at one with Brahma. So the concept of Buddha underneath the Bodhi tree um, had enlightenment at that point, a self-actualization of spirit, mind, body to become at one. So that now they have a recycling type mentality where we have a life cycle that returns to earth so a reincarnate type attitude where we return either as a lower or higher being where we're given another try right <clears throat> but if we just take that concept i'm not i'm not advocating for a religion or anything like that um but why well, advocate for christianity but i'm not advocating for another religion or or something that you okay. embrace yeah, yeah. But Buddhism has that enlightenment concept to become self-actualized, to grow in your awareness of how you treat self and others. And they have this concept of the mind stream where we are, a, we are an animal. It's the Manushaya. The Manushaya is the animal with a mind stream. And what we believe about our animal self, our human being, really does affect the mind stream and it affects other people's mind stream. So I just want to encourage us again that this is a really important concept when it comes to such things as the greatest command, where to love other people and as you love yourself or as you do yourself. And if you don't have a proportionate styled love where I understand love in this way, therefore, if you're in a deficit there, I don't understand love. We're not really going to give love. So if we're not loving self, we're not mm. actually going to be able to give much out. And so, you know, some people say that my, my bowl needs to be filled, filled with what? Well, most of the self-talk and the self, uh, deprecation that we do like in front of the mirror or on a daily basis with our knowledge our mind or intellect whatever or or how we're not performing all takes hits 
against the nirvana, the enlightenment, the self-actualization. So what you believe about yourself really does matter. And what you believe about what you can do and what you believe about what who you are and just your being, being a human being. Do you believe that you're good? Do you believe that you are, you know, nice and generous and kind? Do you have those words to say about yourself? I think that there's think some, go ahead. We've Did talked a say? lot about, yeah, I think we've talked a lot about in the past, the idea of viewing humanity as something that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that oftentimes that's the start of how do you view God and how do you view humanity? Is God, right. is God angry? Is God, is God gracious or is, is humanity good or is humanity bad? Mm -hmm. And so you'd almost set up this, this weird Venn diagram of, of what you believe, how you process, even how you function. If you believe God is 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 an angry God and humans are bad, right? Then how you treat yourself changes drastically, right? Yep, it really does. I think that our self or our self talk and what we believe about ourselves through our self talk really does either build up or tear down. And there's another word that I want to give. Because do you believe that humans or people inherently are good, giving people positive intent for that? But we definitely, um, do we still have sound? I see sound coming up. For Shreya. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so, me. Okay. That was our Very secret good. little thing. That but... was our secret. Yeah. Sorry, I got caught off. Not anymore. It's okay. <laughs> so, so we, do you believe that humans are inherently good? There's another word that I want to use that takes it to the next level. And that is, do you believe that humans are beautiful? And there's actually two doctors and one exercise physiologist that I want to bring up right now. Two doctors by the name of David Sinclair and Peter Atiyah. Both doctors are white paper doctors, what I'll call them white paper doctors. They do science and they really do find the human existence and longevity of humans beautiful. And their work is dedicated to uh, healthy lifestyles and healthy living. There's an exercise physiologist by the name of Ben Greenfield. I have no idea really where these people's faiths are. I know Ben Greenfield is a Christian, but um, the other two, I have no idea. Uh, but just uh, their concept of self and before who- we, Before we get yeah. too far, I don't, I don't think he's a physiologist. Yeah, he's an exercise physiologist. So, or, or excuse me, not a doctor. He's an exercise physiologist, though, in practice, a pract uh, okay. practitioner. So, so the three of them have really inspired me in different ways because here's people that just find the human body and our existence beautiful. And I just wonder, could we all get there? Can we all self-actualize to get there about each other and about ourselves? The idea of beauty uh, goes right back to the creation story. And I've taught on this lots over the last 
um, you know, a handful of years that beauty is, um, well, first of all, just when we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that's a judgment call. So that's a subjective judgment call against another person. Usually said in a derogatory and negative way, well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You know, when you're looking at somebody that's not very attractive to you, you know, you just like say that to kind of just brush off the awkwardness or, or make a judgment of somebody else's looks. And really beauty in our modern society does have a lot to do with looks. We have a hard time seeing beauty in much of anything besides a physical attracted aesthetic. Um, there's a lot more beautiful things that I think that if we would reflect on just a little bit beyond just a attraction or a aesthetic, I think we could see beauty in a lot more. Um, but I would say that that idea of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Who is the beholder? Well, I'm going to take you back into some Old Testament stuff in Genesis that I think is really important to find out who that beholder um, is of that, of that beauty. I think that if we would find ourselves so beautiful, and beyond just good, I'm a good guy. You know, I, I think that that's nice to say. Uh, but if we would actually take it up a notch and find ourselves in a more than aesthetic, more than just a look, but we would ha actually have a deepened uh, definition of, and affirmation of self that we are beautiful. I, I do find that that does transform our minds a little bit to more of a self-actualization that if we could have that kind of talk in our in our lives. Um, if you look at paintings and art and sculpture, and it's easy to see something outside that's beautiful, nature, trees, huge, you know, huge trees or the forest or, or go to a rainforest, you go, wow, this is incredible. This is beautiful. Usually that word really should be awe-inspiring or or it's in it's in awe you are in awe of something because it's so big and magnificent that you're taken back um the idea of beautiful in genesis is reserved not necessarily for uh human made objects but it's 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 reserved for god made objects and people so whether it be nature is beautiful rivers lakes and streams are beautiful the birds of the air the the animals are beautiful and human beings are beautiful so people in science spend their lives cultivating and preserving such things like an, an ecologist spends their life uh, preserving the beauty of their or they're fighting to preserve the beauty of the earth. I think that music is a God-made thing, uh, really, totally has to do with vibrations and we're all just a walking vibration anyway. So I think that I think that music is a God-given thing. And so musicians spend their lives cultivating beautiful things, beautiful vibrations, I guess. And so so if we understand this idea of, of beautiful and how deep that goes in the mind of God, I think that that could begin to change and transform our minds, our mind stream to become more self-actualized than to love ourselves a little bit more and deeper to be able to love others more and deeper. So when you look in the Bible, 
And those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, if you look in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in the Genesis record, I believe that that story is a is a narrative poem. It's a Hebrew poem. I don't believe it's historical in and of itself. I believe that there's historical concepts, like historical concepts of like the earth is historical, right? And people are historical. So I'm not saying that the 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 uh, concept of the story is necessarily fake. Um, what I'm saying is it's a poem that points to a different reality and a different story than a piece of history. So it's a narrative poem. It's a, it's a story that points us to a bigger reality than history or some characters that are going on. So you could actually take the word Adam and that could be humankind. So it could be a larger group um, the metaphors of the seven days or six days of creation, the seventh day God rested, that, that is a rhythm of life. And so, so it's not by mistake, it's by intention that it's seven complete days. Um, it's by intention that Adam, Adama is earth, Dom, red, blood from the earth, Adama, Adam. I mean, it just makes sense that Adam is, is the person yet the people. So if you start to look at the beautiful pictures and the illustrations and the art that is in Genesis, it starts to bounce off the page a little bit differently than this historical quasi, we're trying to be religious scientists, literally, um, with a book. So in that book, in Genesis, when God created all six days, at the end of that day, God said that it was good. When he created human beings, God said that they were very good. So Genesis 1-3, let there be light. God saw how good the light was. One ten, God named the dry land earth and named the gathered seas, water seas, God saw that it was good. And like skip forward, Genesis 1.21, God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters according to its kind, the winged birds, and according to its kind, God saw, God saw that it was good. So this word good in Hebrew is the word tov. And tov, now you could just phonetically say T-O-V, T as in Tom, O, V as in, in Valerie, T-O-V, Tov. So when you, when you um, just start looking and researching what the word Tov actually means in Hebrew, you'll find a couple of things. And there's actually three options. And the three options are good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad girl, right? Type of mentality, right? You're a, you're a good girl. You're a good boy, right? So there's a, there's a judgment call of the word good. They call it the moral good. So you have a moral good. And the problem with the moral good is you can't attach moral good unless you're a pantheist. You can't attach moral good to a tree. The tree was good, good tree, bad tree, right? You can't really do that. It doesn't make sense. And 
in the language. But then there's also a a well-being good. And unless you are, again, some metaphysical, like, like there's a spirit person in the rocks, which I'm not, but unless you are in the Hebrews, the, the Hebrew writer wouldn't have been. So, so when you think about the well-being, good, I'm good, right? I'm happy. I'm good. When, are you okay? I'm good. You know, so you say good for a well-being good as, as well. And that can't be attached to objects and such. So the, the word tov is used for, you know, the swarmy things in the seas and also the birds of the air and for trees and land and seas and people. So it has to mean something different the idea of tov. So it's not going to be the moral tov. It's not going to be the well-being tov. It's actually a, a, the adverb tov, created good, where we have the earth created good, where that word then begins to take on an aesthetic judgment, where God looked upon the earth, the creation, and all that was in it, and called it an aesthetic judgment said it was good. And so the only word that we have besides good, which has uh, several meanings and almost like like too many meanings to really single out what it, good actually means in life. You know, God is good and so is this spaghetti, right? So, so Rob Bell uh, years ago said, you know, I love Jesus, I love my wife and I love tacos, right? You can say the same thing. Love has so many different connotations to it. You say the same thing about, and Rob Bell did an excellent job of that years ago. But now good is kind of that same way. You know, my kids are good. I have a good well-being and God created things good. It doesn't make any sense. So it, so it has to be an aesthetic judgment. And that aesthetic judgment would be the idea of beautiful. It would be a judgment of I created these things and it is supremely beautiful. So this is the proof of the Hebrew text that basically God is creating something in God's image, but also with worth. And, and, and God's ascetic judgment giving it worth. So we have, from the moment that we are on the planet, right? Created and living, breathing Manashaya, the animals with a mind stream. The moment that we are that being, God tells us that we have worth. And worth meaning you have a self-concept that's beautiful. You have a self-esteem that's beautiful. You have, you, excuse me, excuse me, because self is a self-judgment. So let's change that. You have a concept. I'm giving you a concept that starts as beautiful. I'm giving you an esteem that starts as beautiful. I'm giving you an efficacy that starts as beautiful. I'm giving you an awareness that starts at beautiful. Through trauma and through crises and such, that's when that begins to chip away at that beautiful 
carving, that beautiful statue that that God built and called beautiful, that's when we pull out the machine gun and start taking, you know, bullets of sometimes our own negative self-talk, sometimes trauma, childhood trauma, adult trauma, any kind of trauma. You know, it's like pulling out a a machine gun and gunning your concept of beautiful. And so sometimes it's really hard to see ourselves as that. And I understand that. And there are practices that we can do to begin to become self-actualized that way again. Um, I actually really, we use the word deconstruct a lot. And after this study, I have a hard time with that right now. I don't have a hard time with construct, right? Because we're the constructionists, but I have a hard time with that idea of deconstruct. Because I've spent a lifetime deconstructing myself in a very negative way. And, and so Brian Zond said this, that faith deconstruction is actually art reformation that sometimes we need to add a little more here and peel off a little here and begin the colors begin to shine through again and we begin to see the picture again and art restoration and reformation is one stroke at a time and sometimes very meticulously working through a painting that has been damaged over a lifetime and bringing the color and bringing the Mona Lisa uh, back to life, back to back to beautiful. And I really, I really appreciate that because the beauty is still there. Mm -hmm. The beauty is still in the image. It just needs that restoration. It needs that, it's, it needs that practice of, of reformation to become like God intended to call us in the beginning, and that was beautiful. So I'm called beautiful, which is kind of weird, because you know I'm not I'm not called beautiful, uh, but every once in a while, um, some things that I create are beautiful, but being called beautiful is kind of kind of weird um, to me. But I then read in First Timothy four four, where everything that has been created by God is good. So there that English word is again, but it's actually kalon. And that Greek word that Paul uses here means beautiful. So again, we have creation being tied to even a different language in a different time. Far, far like, like uh, well, if, it depends on what you believe in about the Bible and when it was written. But literally, literally far in advance in history we see again Paul connecting creation to beautiful in a different language in a different time of his interpretation of Genesis 1. So that's the you know that's some that's some really digging around some language and and god stuff and faith stuff uh and noodling around those things that that we are created according to two ancient texts of Old and New Testament that were created in this image of God, the image, God's image, and that image is beautiful. 
And if only we can get there again. And I want to encourage us as just listeners and people to put practices in place in your life that that reestablish, that restores and reforms what you think of yourself, what you believe about yourself, what you know about yourself, those things that you maybe need to regenerate or enlighten in your life. So maybe that is doing some auto self-actualization exercises. Like for example, when we eat better, we feel better. When we do good, we feel good. When we when we clean up our mess, we don't feel like necessarily that area is a mess anymore. And so there's simple things that we can do in life that are very practical, that are very, very self-auto-actualizing in our life. Can you guys just quickly think of a couple of more because I'm lost um, for a couple of more to give our audience tonight? Practicing gratitude. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So a gratitude journal of some kind. Yeah. Just sit down with or a like piece of paper and write some things write, down. Write four things down. Mm -hmm. Taking time to notice emotions, um, whether we're able to name them, whether we're able to sit with them and feel them, um, whether we're able to identify where they're coming from, if it's actually coming from the specific situation that I'm experiencing, or if it's a holdover from the past that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my efficacy, I, I do list making. So I make lists now. I have for a while, but I make lists. And lists are really important to me because if I do it on my phone, I can actually do strikethroughs. And my list then all of a sudden has all these strikethroughs and I actually see myself accomplishing. And it might be what we perceive as just simple things. Um, but when we see that list strike through, we actually are seeing ourselves accomplish. That does something to our mind stream. That does something to our brain. It actually is an auto self-actualizing exercise. Any more? Just really quick before we end. This one's not really quick, but therapy. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, we are not professionals. We don't consider ourselves therapists by any means. Nope. Counselors or any, even close to the such. We promote professionals for that type of um, engagement and relationship. And so we want anyone and everyone. Uh, I think therapy is great. And I, I want to be a positive affirmer of therapy, um, whether it be traditional counseling or more advanced therapy that you uh, and we might need. And some things are just difficult. And life throws us a real hard um, deck of cards sometimes. And we have gone through it. And I know each of us have gone through things that we've all needed help with at times. And so I want to encourage each and every one of us to seek therapy, 
seek counseling when we need it and 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 if somebody is looking at us and saying i think this might help you um take those words and weigh them heavily um we want you to listen to the people around you as well that are promoting this in your life so there's certain things that create neuropathways trauma neuropathways in our brains that we need to do all kinds of just maybe visualization, reframing therapies, or even EMDR, things like that, that actually can help us overcome some of these. So we can actually be, again, whole human. So remember that Jesus didn't come to just make us and give us a label and make us into something like Christian. He came to make us whole human. And I want to encourage us to practice and to seek out the help that we need to do so. All right, with that, good night, everybody. Thanks, you two, for joining us, and we're um, looking forward to next week. Next week will be, if I can get my notes out really quick, um, I don't have my notes in front fitness of me. And nutrition. Jake, thank you. All right, fitness and nutrition, we'll go over that next week. Looking forward to it. Take care. Good night.